so glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. And ClarkDeals.com is where you go to get all the bargains that our deal diggers are finding to help you stretch your wallet. Coming up in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's a practice going on in some states that is really hurting you in the paycheck, hurting you in the wallet big time. I'm going to tell you what the state's doing to stab you in the back in just 20 minutes. And coming up in a half hour, I have a new fresh warning for you. When you go to rent a car, if you ever do rent a car, and this applies the most to people who only occasionally rent cars and don't know the ways you might be taken advantage of, that's coming up in just 30 minutes. I want to talk right now about some good news on the college tuition front. For years and years and years, for roughly the last two generations, colleges have been raising tuition each year by more than twice the general rate of inflation in the economy. And that's why college costs have gone to the point where it's been a back-breaking thing for even families that have good incomes. But now things are changing. And I want to make sure you know that if you have kids that are going to be of college age in the next several years, the rules of the game have dramatically changed. And I want you to know how to play this. So, number one, supply and demand is at work. There are any of a number of reports that the number of people going to college is actually going down in the United States, not staying even or going up. A number of colleges are not able to fill their freshman classes. There aren't enough potential recruits to go around and colleges as a result are becoming much more focused on what the cost is going to be i know i have a high school senior going to college next fall and in going to visit colleges it's completely different than it was with her sister who's 10 years older with the college visits, now they address straight on what the cost of college is going to be, ways to reduce the cost of the college, and I heard many times, don't be afraid by our official prices, because other than maybe the top 20 colleges in the United States, a lot of it is let's make a deal. This is in addition to my big thing about looking at going to a two-year college or a community college before going somewhere else for your junior and senior year as a way to cut college costs typically in half for a four-year degree. But if you 
or your son or daughter really are focused on a traditional four-year college, especially private college, the negotiating power you have if you don't fixate on one school is great. And by the way, never, ever negotiate for just freshman year because that's the old loss leader game where they give you a great deal on net college costs as a freshman, and then once you're there, they stick it to you for sophomore, junior, and senior year. Don't fall for that. You negotiate based on a full four-year deal. Because, again, you get outside of the small cluster of elite colleges, they need you more than you need them. And you only give up that power if you have a son or daughter who says, the only place I want to go is blah, blah, blah. Our high school senior has four schools that any of the four she says she'd be happy to go to. And that gives her a lot more, and I guess us, a lot more negotiating power and where she's going to go. And even the retail prices on the schools vary a lot of the four, but the net cost. And I mentioned this last month, but I want to mention it again. Even if you think you make too much money for your child to qualify for a good financial package, don't psych yourself out that way. Do the FAFSA. Because regardless of family income, you may qualify for a better deal than you realize, but it all starts with doing the FAFSA. I know it's no fun doing the FAFSA, but do the thing. Steve's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you doing? Great, thank you, Steve. You have a difficult dilemma for me. Yeah, um, you know, looking back in retrospect, about uh, four years ago, my wife and I decided to uh, open whole life policy insurances for each of us. And, uh, you know, now we realize it wasn't the best way to invest the extra money we had left over after uh, maximizing our 401ks and individual IRAs. So basically, we're about. Wait, 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 wait. Don't gloss over that because you deserve real praise for that. What I think I heard you say is you and your wife are maximizing 401ks and Roth IRAs? Well, unfortunately, we don't qualify for Roth, so we have traditional IRAs for both of us. Um, but um, yes, we do. All right. Uh, that is an outstanding thing. So then in addition to that, you also own whole life insurance. Right. So instead of uh, using that extra money we had after maximizing our retirement um, investments, we decided to go that route instead of investing that money into a taxable brokerage account. So, But now we realize it wasn't probably the best way to utilize that money. So we're about four years into it, and um, we paid pretty hefty premiums per month. Um, so you're trying to so. figure out so, what they refer right. so to. We're wondering as, whether we should just cut our losses and move on, or yeah. should we just ride it out and see where it takes us. So, Steve, that's referred to as the sunk cost challenge. 
you know, they call money you put into something is called sunk, S-U-N-K, costs. Right. And it's like, what do you do? Do you throw more money into it or do you just say, we're out of here? So it's hard to know with a life insurance policy because even if you bought a whole life policy, there are some that are contractually substantially better than others. There are companies that are better than others. And what are you paying per month in premiums for the two of you? <laughs> it's sort of embarrassing to tell, but we, we, each of us pay about uh, 3000 per month. Wow. You are a max saver, aren't you? All right. So you have a huge amount of money already tied up in this. I would like you to spend roughly $200 to have a third-party evaluation done on whether you should keep those policies, ditch them, or you probably have some form of conversion privilege in them, which would be the best course for you? There's a guy who um, does this work um, for the Consumer Federation of America. He used to be a state insurance commissioner. And there's a special website you go to, and it tells you what documentation you're going to need. And he will run a full-bore analysis of your policy, which I can't imagine anything more boring doing than doing that for somebody. But he'll do it and send you a report telling you exactly what you and your wife should do. Okay. The website is that you go to, to to see exactly what paperwork you need and all that is evaluatelifeinsurance.org, O-R-G. Okay, sounds great. And you will not have an idea what to do. You will know exactly what to do after you see his report. All right, awesome. And again, even if strategically or tactically, whichever we'd call this, I guess this would be a tactical decision. You know, if it was turned out to be a wrong thing to buy this whole life insurance, The reality is your mentality and your wife's mentality of being savers, living on substantially less than what you make, is so wonderful that the two of you are just going to have so many choices with your life. And you've made that happen, and you should feel really good about that. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Best of luck, Steve, and you will certainly get the answer you need. Corey's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Corey. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. You are another person who is rolling in money, huh? Oh, no, I wouldn't say that, no, sir. Okay. <laughs> Trying to get there, though. Well, tell me what you're up to. So, uh, currently, I've been living in my house for about nine years now. Um, I bought it when the market was real low at 20 years old, and so in that time have gained about hundred grand in equity. Um, I just got married a couple months ago and found out my wife is pregnant. And so we're looking to upgrade to a bigger house. And, um, with that, I'm thinking, I'm trying to determine if it's a better for me to sell my house, get that hundred grand and just invest it in the new house and save money on interest. Or would it be better for me to refinance my current house using um, the hundred grand in equity as a down payment on my new house to avoid paying PMI and then renting out my current house as an investment property? Okay, so first of all, congratulations to you on your wedding and your upcoming birth of your child. 
Thank you, sir. Moving fast. Yeah, great stuff. So because, and, and I always say never make a decision just because of tax reasons, but because of a tax situation here, it is to your potential advantage to sell the house you live in, not keep it as an investment property, and have an enormous amount of money to put as down payment on your new larger home for this reason. The gain that you have, you can pocket tax-free if you sell the house now. If, on the other hand, you turn into a rental property and years down the road you go to sell it, all your gain, including the gain you had that would have been tax-free at this point, all is subject to tax. Uh. So it is to your advantage to sell the property, have that money, put it into the new home, and just call it a day. Okay. Gotcha. Because uh, everything else I, I've kind of researched and everything, they're saying, you know, income property is a uh, I, I love income properties. Like I love income properties. But if you were to buy a house next door to the one you have now and turn it into a rental property, the tax treatment for you is so much more favorable than it is taking the house that you live in right now and turning it into a rental property. I see. So that that's still the case, even if I refinance my current house? Yeah, that, that makes no difference in terms of the original basis of the house Understood. when you go to sell it. So Okay. So I would take the cash, put it in the new house, you lower the mortgage, you eliminate PMI, you'll have a very comfortable payment. And if the payment's comfortable enough on the new house, since you would have put so much money into it, go into a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30 you get about a point lower interest rate, and you're out of debt on that house in 15 years instead of 30. What a deal. Today's Clark Rageous moment concerns something that hurts the country, hurts you as an individual, hurts innovation, hurts your paycheck, and it is a front to decency. And it is covenants not to compete. California, in spite of its high taxes and all high cost of living and all that has been an economic powerhouse and one of the reasons why is because california does not allow covenants not to compete people with skills know that they can go wherever the best deal is for them a startup company knows that they have ready access to talented people now contrast that with the outrageous, scandalous behavior of the politicians in the state of Idaho that has passed what may be the nation's worst covenant not to compete that makes basically every worker in the state of Idaho an indentured servant to the employer they work for, that if you want to leave your employer, you have to prove to a court that your leaving isn't going to hurt your employer making you basically their servant and you cannot go test the marketplace, can't go see what your labor is worth somewhere else. This is absolutely, completely, and totally a Clark rage. And what makes this even worse is it stifles innovation. Because think of it. If I have an innovative company, I would be Looney Tunes 
to go set that company up in the state of Idaho or any other state that has extreme covenants not to compete. You know, the state of Massachusetts at one time ruled technology and lost it to California because Massachusetts had these awful covenants not to compete that made it impossible for tech startups to find good workers and made it impossible for workers to bid up their wages. Idaho, you have never been a part of a Clark Rageous moment till now. Stop stabbing your citizens in the back. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want to talk about ripoffs straight ahead. Clark.com is our web address and Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask questions. Also, you know, you can ask questions off the air of a member of our team. That's free. It's service we offer as part of the Clark Howard Show. You can see how to do that. If you go to Clark.com on your phone, you'll see how to do it. You should be able to dial right in from your phone if you have a question during the hours we're open. Hours we're open are 10 in the morning Eastern till 7 in the evening Eastern Pacific time, 7 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. And obviously everywhere in between if you're in Central or Mountain time or I should say, Alaska time zone, Hawaii. Got to adjust for them. But anyway, you're used to that if you live in Alaska or Hawaii. It's always unfair for people in Alaska and Hawaii. Prices may be higher in Alaska or Hawaii. You'll see a great deal advertised, and it'll end with that little thing that says, we're going to take advantage of you in Alaska or Hawaii. Anyway, speaking of taking advantage of you, I want to talk about something that has been a constant refrain with callers to our show and it involves people who are getting taken advantage of by Carbonyl Company. And I want to give an update to a company we've had calls about in the past, Payless Car Rental, which is owned by Avis. Payless is, uh, is their discount brand and Painless has been a source of constant heartache for people. And the Better Business Bureau has taken a step I don't remember them ever taking with what would be considered to be a mainstream company. They have issued a nationwide warning about renting a car from Payless because of their business practices. Now, here are the allegations that the Better Business Bureau and it's so rare for them to publish something like this. Sales representatives misrepresent the necessity of optional insurance, unnecessary charges for special equipment, optional insurance, and deposits that were never reimbursed. And this is the one that we've had on the show several times, failure to honor the rental price reflected online at the time of booking. There is a proposed class action against Payless. The uh, Better Business Bureau has asked the various states' attorney generals to launch investigations of Payless's practices. And the warning for you, they have an F rating with the Better Business Bureau, which is hard to get an F rating. I want you to know that you 
need to be aware. Payless may be more extreme than other car rental companies you might choose to rent from, but know that there are practices in the car rental industry that are unsavory and to be aware of. It is common for car rental companies to have a quota on their rental agents at the counter that in order to keep their job, they must get one-third of the customers they see each shift to buy the crummy pseudo-insurance products that are frightfully overpriced that they try to scare you into buying or intimidating you into buying. That if the counter agent doesn't get a close rate of one in three, they're at risk of being unemployed. That is not your responsibility to keep that individual employed. It is your responsibility to protect your wallet. For the car rental agencies, it's estimated that what they sell you for $25 a day, their actual cost is 60 cents. It's quite a markup, right? Before you go to rent a car, check with your own automobile insurer to see if you're covered for temporary use of a rental car. Almost 100% of the time you will be. Second, make sure that you backstop that with a credit card that covers you for temporary use of a rental car and the two in tandem should keep you from any financial risk from what the car rental company may try to hit you with. So I use an auto insurer that covers me for temporary use of a rental car, but I never have to involve them if there is an incident because I use a credit card that is primary coverage. If something happens, they deal with it. Next thing, when you return a car, make sure you take pictures thoroughly with your smartphone of that car. Every panel, fender, the rest. There is unfortunately an unfolding scandal involving car rental agencies where employees are getting a bounty to write up a car for damage so that the car rental agency, as it's turned out, I was not aware of this, that damage claims have turned into a giant profit center for car rental agencies, that they are billing the repairs at four times their actual cost of the repairs. Who knew? Four times. So there's an entire commission system that apparently is emerging in the car rental business to find a problem with the car you return. So you need pictures, and if you see anything wrong with the car before you leave, you make sure that's, you know, when you're renting the car, you make sure that's noted on the contract by an agency employee, and then when you return the car, take the picture so if later some damage just happens to materialize on the car, you have your pictures, it'll be time-coded on your phone that will show the condition of that car when you returned it. Mainly, it sounds like the car rental industry needs an ethical checkup. And if you look about this online, you'll see one local TV station after another doing stories where people have called in complaints about being hit for damage on a car rental. And then somehow, when the TV station calls the rental car agency, 
the claim just vanishes into thin air. Wow. What about behaving ethically in business? Sarah is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Sarah. You have a dilemma you want to pose to me that actually happened in my own life. What's that? Um, retiring early. So when you retire early, I wanted to know what it was specifically that you did for health care coverage. Oh, so you know I retired at 31? So, Sarah, what I did when I retired and I was a beach bum Mm -hmm. is I bought an individual policy from the HMO Kaiser Permanente because it had the, the most comprehensive coverage I could get and I didn't have to worry about exposure to big bills if something bad happened to me. I had to give up the freedom of choosing my own doctor. Uh, you know, with Kaiser, you go to their facilities, you're treated by their staff, and that was how I dealt with it as a 31-year-old retiree. And so that was, because let's say I went to buy an individual health policy, what's the big risk with an individual health policy? out of pocket you know it's very common now that if you buy an individual policy that you're going to have massive deductibles on that policy and even once it starts paying you know it's not going to pay everything of a bill presented so for me and it's a choice people only have in a number of states going to a real with some staff model HMO where you just pay them a premium per month and then you know you have uh, thorough coverage with very little out-of-pocket, you know, just uh, a visit charge each time you go, that gave me extreme peace of mind. So was that premium um, reasonable? Because there's things like COBRA where it just seems highly... Yeah, COBRA. All right, so let me tell you the COBRA thing. So if you leave a place of employment... You're allowed to have COBRA typically for 18 months. And it's really designed for someone who has ongoing care going on for some kind of serious condition. And you pay the full embedded cost that your employer would have for the coverage you have plus a 2% administrative charge. So it ends up being a gigantic bill each month. Mm-hmm. Have you are you in a position, Sarah? You're thinking of doing a very early retirement, and you've checked what the Cobra would be. I've looked into it just to see what my options are. I would like to retire early, um, but it just seems like there's there's not too many reasonable options. But I'll have to look at the HMO Kaiser one. Yeah, how familiar are you with Kaiser? Pretty familiar. They're all around um, where I live. Okay. You're where in California are you? Southern California. Okay, so you've got you got a whole network of Kaiser hospitals. You've got the Kaiser medical offices and people are very polarized about Kaiser. You know, because the fact that you go to their facilities 
their doctors, you deal with their staff. Um, some people just hate that. But then I know others, I have some friends that have been lifelong Kaiser members and are thrilled that they've been lifelong. So uh, that is, as, as best I know, if you live as you do in an area with Kaiser, it is the best option for an early retiree. Okay, great to know. Okay. And I'm just curious, how young are you that you're going to bag work? Oh, I'm, I still have a ways to go before retirement, but I just, um, I'm 34 right now, but I just wanted to see how much I needed each month to set aside for health care if I did retire in the next 10 or 15 years. Okay, so it's funny you say that health care is, regardless of the political atmosphere in Washington, health care in the next 15 years will be done completely differently from how we are going to do it over the next few years. So it's impossible to make a prediction about that looking 10 to 15 years away. But I like that you're a planner. Just keep stashing away a huge percent of your pay, Sarah. Let's talk with Alice. Alice, welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Hey there, Clark. How's it going? Good. I got you on the line. Well, Alice, you have a question for me that is a dilemma many people try to sort through, and that's about when do you need credit and when don't you, right? Yeah, and I've made it to age 58 without it, so I'm wondering if I just keep life the same or, you know, I'm missing out on something. So do you use credit at all, or are you a cash-only person? Um, well, I have a, I'm a debit card person most of the time, debit card and cash. So have you ever done a car loan or a mortgage? Yes, yes car loan, yes. All right. And do you, when's the last time you had a car loan active? Oh, I actually, we just, just did it in February. Okay, and did you get a decent interest rate on that car loan? Yes, I did. So your credit score is probably just fine. Yes, it, yeah, it is. So the advantage of having a credit card is if you're away from home and you have, um, let's say, your car breaks down or you're away from home and you need to do something or you like to shop online, you want to have a credit card. But the usually when I'm talking with somebody about who's never had a credit card about having one, it's usually for credit score issues. But if, you're, oh. <laughs> if no. your credit score is fine, then the reason to have a credit card would be for these other practical reasons, so that you have well, access to the ability to, uh, to charge if you needed to right. when, when you're in a pinch somewhere. Well, I'm wondering if I'm missing out on all the... Uh, benefits that you can you can get cash back or absolutely if you're someone if you're about. someone who would absolutely handle your money perfectly that you wouldn't run up charges that you couldn't pay when the bill came and all that i think it's great to have a cash back credit card and are you able to suggest any certain ones yeah i'll tell I'm you there of- are two in particular there's the Citibank double cash it's two okay. percent cash back and then if you happen to have a brokerage account with Fidelity Investments, they have a 2% cashback card. Citibank, and what's the second one called? Fidelity Investments. But you, it only works if you have a brokerage account at Fidelity. I just might. I know that sounds silly, but 
That name's really sounding familiar, so I will check into those. What about the Costco card? Costco card is great um, in that you get 4% cash back on gasoline, 3% on restaurants and travel, 2% on shopping in Costco or at Costco.com, 1% everywhere else. Not that I'm familiar with it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel, ask your question for you. Clark, right now I'm going to ask John's question. He said, I'm trying to book a short cruise. What's the best website to look at for last-minute trips uh, to find a good deal? So there is no one go-to. And I'd like for you to look at a few of them. One is CruiseCritic.com. And one of the buttons they have on the home page is last-minute cruise deals. The other is to look at cruisecompete.com. And that's one where it puts cruise agencies into bid against each other for your business. And in addition, we talked about them just a few minutes ago, Costco Travel, a division of Costco Wholesale, is a good place to look at cruises just generally because Costco travel rebates a lot of their commission from your cruise booking. In addition, if you have the Costco Visa card, you get 3% back of the cost of the cruise on it. All right, and Joan writes in says, I paid off seven credit cards recently. Should I close them all at one time, keep them open, or close them one at a time over a spread out period? I'd rather you not close them at all as long as you wouldn't be tempted to use them. It will help with your credit score if those remain open, active accounts moving forward. Now, the history you have with them, even if you close them, stays as history for you that is some value. But the best value is that they remain active accounts. And if you can avoid temptation of getting into trouble with them and use each of them twice a year, that would be the perfect thing. It would be twice a year for $5 each time and just keep them alive. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.